The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful that uh, in Christ you didn't just save us, but you call us to something better. You call us to be um, imitators of your son, Jesus Christ. We are, we are tied to you, Lord. Uh, in, in your death to sin, we're tied to you. In your resurrection, we are tied to you. We will rise like you. And one day we're gonna come to heaven like you. And so in that time, Lord, as we are tied to you in so many ways, Lord, I, I personally confess to you that um, what we're looking at today uh, in 42 and a half years of walking with you at times, either through ignorance or neglect, or rebellion, Lord, I have not done these things. But Lord, I, I confess these things, and I ask your forgiveness, and I, Lord, pray for everyone that's within the sound of my voice today, that we would start afresh to look at these things, that we would put off the old identity, that we would kill sin in our lives, and help us to walk in the new identity we have in Jesus Christ, a new identity that is full of joy, and peace, and hope, and rejoicing in you. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're continuing our study in Colossians that we've been in for the last uh, several weeks, uh, looking at the steadfast, being steadfast in the supremacy of Christ. And at the opening of our chapter of uh, Colossians chapter three, uh, we were encouraged that if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Don't look back. We don't need to go back, but we need to press on looking forward to Christ and to heaven. And uh, reminding us also that we have died to our old selves um, that was so tied to this sinful, fallen world. True, we're still in the world, but you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you have given your life to Christ, which I encourage you to do today, trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And your life will now be all about him. It is hidden in him, right? And uh, we were, when we were together last time, Ed beautifully uh, showed us how we are to put off the old identity. We need to put it off. We need to be serious about that in our lives. We need to take God's word seriously. We need to be about putting that off. Uh, when we looked at the old self, remember the old self was separated from God, Right? It was under the wrath of God due to the sin that lived in it. The old identity, it was blind. The old identity was in the dark and spiritually orphaned, but led around by the devil who did not seek your good, but was seeking your death. The old identity saw others only as a means fulfilling the felt needs and fleshly desires. So the old identity used others. The old identity used others because that is the only way it could find any source of fleeting fulfillment in this life. And when others did not meet the needs of the old identity, how does the old identity respond? It responds with anger, malice, greed, hatred, slander, obscene talk, and lies. And we need to put all of that off. 
And we need to remember that we must put that off before we put on our new identity that we have in Christ. Remember, we're talking about how we have been tied to Christ. We are united with Christ. And so now we are called to put on his identity. And if we try to mix the two, the old identity mixed with the new identity, we live a confused life. And we also confuse the people around us and the world that is trying to discover Christ. But if we're confused about our identity, who we are in Christ, and they look at us and we don't know who we are, they won't know Jesus either. So the new identity is something we need to put on every single day, 24-7. We need to be thinking about it. And then this new identity is to mirror Christ. Because, of course, we know it's been created, authored, and exampled by Jesus Christ. And now the new identity is no longer separated from God. The new identity is forgiven and freed from the penalty of sin. The new identity finds its needs fully met in Christ and now for the first time, for the first time in its existence, this new identity is fully satisfied with Christ, with the guarantee and the hope of infinitely more to come in God's eternal kingdom. The new identity also no longer sees others as something to be used, as people to be used, but the new identity sees people who are made by God, whom he loves, and people are to be blessed under the new identity. The old identity, remember, used people. It abused people. The new identity only seeks to bless people because, remember, it's tied to Christ. What did Christ come to do? What does Christ do? He just blesses. He blesses, he blesses. And our new identity that we're called to put on is that way. So that's our new relationship with Christ. And also, conversely, um, as Ed pointed out last week, our new relationship with sin is to kill it. The old identity is to kill it. So now, how should we Christians relate to one another now that we've got this new identity in Christ, which we received by faith? Well, we're to respond according to our scripture passage today. And uh, so we are God's chosen people, so we, are put, so we put on Christ. And so I know a lot of times people say, hey, you're a Reformed church. Why don't you guys get into TULIP and all the Reformed doctrine? Well, okay, here you go. Here's one for you right now. We are God's chosen people, so we put on Christ. And when you believe on Christ, you realize that you are chosen by him. So what are we talking about? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 says this. As we are God's chosen people, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we are holy and beloved with this new identity we have. We're set apart by God for himself. Do we make ourselves holy then? No, no. God makes us holy. What, what do we get when we try to make our own version of holiness? What kind of righteousness do we get? Self-righteousness. No, no good. But we've been set apart and made holy by God unto himself. 
as his children. We are in a family now. He is our father, and as each of his children, we are members of his family. Like I said, no longer part of the sinful fallen world. We're no longer orphans, but we are loved children in God's family. So whatever's going on right now, friends, you are loved. If you are in Christ, you know that you are loved. God loves you. If you walk out of here not hearing anything else, remember this, please. God loves you. And uh, how much do you know this? You can tell yourself every day. He sent his son to die for me in my place. That's how much he loves me. So you're set apart unto God and you are loved. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, again, we get this new identity. And because of this new identity, today in our passage, I wanna look at five things that uh, we need to know in how we relate to one another. And as you look at these things, we're gonna see how, well, the new identity in Christ is one, again, that I said, blesses others. The old identity used and abused others, and we wanna put that off. We put off the old identity, but as Christ, we put on Christ, and we bless others, we'll look at these, let's look at these five descriptors really which are key to Christ's character, his own character. We want to put on, one, we want to put on Christ's character towards one another. Secondly, we want to bear with and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. Thirdly, because of our thankfulness to God as his family, we put on loving unity that works for God's peace to rule and reign in our community. Fourthly, we seek to communicate the word of God to each other. And fifthly, how we relate to one another is all for his glory, and it's part of our message to the world. Okay, number one, we put on Christ's character towards one another. In Colossians 3.12, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, again, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This whole thing we're doing is all about and is for Jesus. So as we look at each one of these descriptors, remember, be thinking of how Jesus exemplified all these things to us. And they're Jesus brand of these kind of qualifiers. Now, if we're gonna put on our new identity in Christ, which is Christ's character, these are really things, as I said, who he is and what he has done and what he does today. And we are called to relate to one another as Christ relates to us with these characteristics. So first of all, we need to put on compassionate hearts. Um, a good general definition of compassion is sympathy and concern for the sufferings of others and a desire to alleviate such suffering. Well, how is Christ compassionate with us? How is God the Father compassionate with us? He saw we were lost in sin, so he sent his only begotten son to die in our place and to show us who God the Father really is. Of course, he rose again too. And the um, Hebrew and Greek words that translate to us as compassion in the Bible speak to having mercy or being moved with sympathetic pity towards others. The most Important object of this word, of course, as we just said, is to describe God himself. God does these things. When you see someone suffering, how does your heart and your conscience compel you to act? 
to do what you can to ease that pain, right? When you see someone being treated harshly or unfairly or unjustly, how does your heart or your conscience compel you to act? You want to see justice for them. When someone is asking for your help, how does your heart or your conscience compel you? What do you do? You give them help. When someone is having a bad day and they share it with you, how do you respond? Do you want to lead with compassion towards that person? That's what God does. And so we should. All right, and kindness. Well, we are united with Christ. And so we do the acts of love to bless others as Jesus did. He, Christ is the very image of kindness. And these are the deeds of love, not the words, but the deeds of love. That is kindness. So should we be involved in the deeds of kindness as Christ was. Uh, thirdly, another one of these uh, is the biblical virtue of humility. A lot of times I think we get uh, humility kind of wrong. Uh, you know, we've seen some uh, ideas that, about humility that, you know, it's, just, it's, it's like pride twisted upside down kind of thing. We'll kind of, we'll kind of put ourselves down kind of thing. I can relate to that because that was one of my twisted views of humility was, well, I'll just put myself down and so that'll make me look humble, right? No, that's not what God's calling us to. That's not real. That's not real biblical humility. Um, Paul describes Christ's humility in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, this way. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, God of very God, humbled himself and became a man. When Jesus was here, God on foot, the all-powerful creator of the universe, walking around with size 10 feet. Mommy, you want me, you don't know if you had size 10. But that Christ came and he humbled himself and he came to relate to us and serve us. Now, how do we live? Okay, well, we want to live like Christ. We want to be humble also. And so I was fortunate enough to hear John Piper uh, do a message on the biblical virtue of humility. It was a very long message. It was great. I love John Piper. I'll just boil it down for you because I love you, okay? <laughs> John Piper says, the biblical virtue of humility is, it is the love of Christ's superiority over us in every way and the, the disdain of anything that glorifies ourself. It is the love of Christ's superiority over us in every way and the disdain of anything that glorifies ourselves. So are we to be doormats? No. Um, do we knock ourselves down to appear humble? No. True biblical humility seeks to glorify God with your talents and your abilities that you have received from God to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace toward you in all its various forms. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, Peter gave us this example of how to practically live out the biblical virtue of real humility before Christ. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Here's the, the, the key here. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So when you tell a story about yourself, who's the real hero in the story? Do you make Christ and what God has done for you as the hero that enabled you to do whatever it is? Give God the glory. That's part of the new identity. Okay, moving, in on our, our, moving on in our, our list. Um, uh, meekness. Meekness. That's another one sometimes we get twisted. Does that mean wimpiness? Does meekness mean weakness in any way? No, of course, it means when Christ was here, absolute power and strength under gentle, firm, steadfast control. Think about this from John chapter 13. It's the night of the Last Supper. They've had the meal. And here we are, John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. How many things? All things, right. And that he had come from God and was going back to God. Rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Did Jesus need to brag the, about the fact that God had given him all things? No, he knew it. Did he need to put on a show of his power to say, hey guys, remember who I am? Well, he will at the cross. But for you and for me, it's meekness is just having these talents and abilities that God gives us and we use them at the right time. Imagine if you had a friend that she is a fifth-level black belt in karate. Okay, imagine that. Every time you get together with her, she is just chopping, chopping, chopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting flipped all over the room, and it's just a mess. That would be kind of hard to have a relationship with that. But now, say if you're going to go downtown to Garden Grove, up to Beach and Garden Grove Boulevard, and you're going to go talk to some homeless people and some characters that aren't so pretty, that aren't so nice-looking, if she's standing right next to you, and she's got it under control, she's right next to you, you can go up and you can go talk to anybody, can't you? Because you know if anything ever gets out of hand, your friend, watch out. But she's cool. She's got it under control. That's meekness, having abilities under control to be properly used at the right time. It's like um, uh, any gift that you have, but you can pull it out. You can use it. You know God's given it to you. But at the right time, at the right place, you seek God's guidance. And with gentleness, humility, and joy, you offer that gift. And so Jesus displayed his meekness, but at the proper times, at the right times throughout his life, displayed his glory in amazing ways, in just the right way. Okay, moving on from meekness to patience. Practical patience. You know how Christ, how patient Christ is with you. You know that the first time you, when you came to the Lord, it was wonderful, it was great, but then you blew it. 
Ah, you sinned. You messed up. Did Jesus come back and say, oh, I can't believe you. Come on. What's your problem? No, Christ's patience with you and with me is he saying, no, come to me. Tell me about it. First John 1, 9 said, if we're faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. Christ's compassionate heart to us, his patience with us is that when we mess up, we don't get blasted. But his compassion and his love says, okay, come to me. Come to me. It's all right. Come to me. Come to me. We're going to get this. We're going to work through this. Now, patience is commonly defined as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Patience sometimes is also referred to as long-suffering. Of course, it originates from God. And it's part of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's a product of self-control and a product of, of godliness and surrendering to Christ, which was demonstrated to us by Christ himself in his earthly ministry. One of his friends, Peter, described it this way. In 1 Peter 2.23, who was an eyewitness to this, Peter writes, when he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, God the Father, who judges justly. It's a clear example from the life of Jesus that some things Jesus said, I'm going to leave that to God the Father to take care of. Jesus didn't strike back. I confess, sometimes I, I want to strike back. Um, I've been in the gas line at Costco, and people who, you know, don't do the whole line thing right, you know, it's like, yeah, they start driving around each other and all that stuff. Don't lash out. When you get on the 405 freeway, and some people just have not embraced this idea of zippering. Do you, when I say the word zipper, do you know what I mean? Zipper, yeah. One goes, then the next goes, then the next goes. But um, uh, apparently we don't, a lot of people don't understand this. Um, and, but we don't, we don't get riled up about it. See, I'm preaching to myself right now. If you, thanks for just hanging out for a second. This is, just, this is just for me. I'm telling myself here. But, uh, but Jesus always, he turned the other cheek. He kept his mouth shut. He bit his tongue. He didn't strike back. Jesus does all these things for us all the time because we're all growing and he's patient with us and kind and loving. So uh, with our new identity as holy and beloved children of God, we put on Christ's character towards one another. We do all these things about, about displaying uh, Humility, meekness, and patience. Now, number two, we bear with and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. This is a tough one. You know, we can be kind and do the deeds of kindness, but sometimes forgiving, because that takes a hard investment to forgive people. But in Colossians 3.13, Paul writes to us, he says, we have a new identity in Christ. We are to be bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Well, to bear with one another. What does that mean to bear with one another? Well, in today's culture is we don't cancel each other out so easily. We don't cancel one another out at all. 
we hang in there with one another. Yes, it's often messy. It's inconvenient. It's awkward. And it's pride-killing to, for, um, to bear with one another and forgive one another. The key is the hard work of forgiveness, forgiving one another. Dr. Nicholas Ellen, a, uh, a Christian pastor and biblical counselor, says that real practical forgiveness has three promises. When someone has sinned against us, and we're called upon to forgive because if we let unforgiveness fester, it's, it's, it's been described as like, um, I'll get to the quote in just a second here, but um, I promise. But unforgiveness is like having a grudge against somebody. It's like having, I've heard it described as like having a bucket of acid. You've got a bucket of acid that you're carrying around in your heart for somebody else that you want to splash on somebody else because they've hurt you, done you wrong. But the longer you carry that bucket of acid, what happens if you don't forgive? That acid eats you up. So forgiveness is, let's put down, put that away. Let's forgive one another, the wrongs that they have done against us. And here are those um, three promises that Nicholas Allen uh, highlighted in in a recent conversation that I heard. He said, promise number one in forgiving people and letting go of that hurt that's been done against you is to make the promise to the person who has asked for forgiveness whom you're, or whom you're going to forgive, says, I'm not going to use this against you ever again. Secondly, the second promise is, I am not going to talk to anyone else about this to harm you. And thirdly, the third promise of forgiveness is, I am not going to keep dwelling on this in my own mind. We need to think about this, about how Christ has forgiven us. And if we look at Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, we get an example of how God forgives us and how he acts out these three promises. In Micah 7, 18 and 19, the prophet wrote, I am, how, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he, God, delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And then he's referring, then he calls out to God and says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Gone, forgotten, forgiven, Now, God didn't have to forgive us. He chose to, and he did so from the very beginning. God foreknew that tomorrow he would bring, and Jesus came to save us from the curse of sin that we can't release ourselves from. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 7, he said, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Gone. Cast into the bottom of the sea gone. And this is according to the riches of his grace. God's forgiveness is a product of his grace. He has been gracious to forgive us, and he expects us to pay it forward when we truly grasp the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to forgive us. Our genuine faith is illustrated. It is shown to the world 
in the way that we forgive ourselves and forgive each other. Our genuine faith is illustrated in the way we forgive ourselves and each other. So be compassionate, kind, humble, patient, forgive one another. You know, and of course, we don't earn points with God by our ability to do these things, but it shows that we understand God's compassion, kindness, mercy, grace, patience, and forgiveness towards us. When you can do this, give this to others, it shows you understand what you have received from God. Bless others. So as we put on Christ's character towards one another, bear with one another, and forgive one another, then we thirdly, now we come to, because of our thankfulness to God, thankfulness to God, as his family, we put on loving unity, and we let peace rule and reign in our relationships. You know, I know like a lot of people like to, I like to stir the pot. I like to go into situations and stir things up. No, that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to let peace, his peace, rule and reign. In Colossians 3.14, in our passage today, it says, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Mm. Have you ever been around a person who is kind of has ingratitude? They're not very thankful. I see them in the mirror a lot. And so, but, and I go, I ask that dude, hey dude, what's your problem? They said, well, my problem is I've got a fear of missing out. I'm anxious for things. There's things I want. There's things that, is God really going to meet my needs? Is he really going to do these things? Yes, he will. God's word promises. You know, um, seek ye first, therefore the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I don't need to live with the fear of missing out. You know, so much of our mar- the advertising that you are bombarded with every single day on the internet, social media, TV, radio, films, is do you have the fear of missing out? Well, if you have the fear of missing out, here's we have to answer it. And if you can get one of these, you know, you won't be missing out. They're playing upon the fears of missing out. Well, as we were talking about this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ, we are fully satisfied in Christ. Does Christ provide us everything we need for salvation, for what we have each day? We can be thankful for it. We don't have to fear we're going to miss out. Now, if you do have a need, you know, and some, that's what we're here for as the body of Christ. Please let us know if there's something, something that you are really need, because you know, God wants to help fulfill it, and he uses the church to meet people's needs. And so, But for what you have... Be thankful. Don't fear and be concerned about you know, what you're missing out. And, uh, and just think about this. How thankful is a person who knows that they are loved beyond measure? And they're not loved for anything intrinsic about themselves, but they're loved by God. How, how thankful is that person? If we know this, 
If we have plenty of love in our tank, so to speak, from God, we can give it to others. And what happens when people who are loved by God and thankfully share this love with one another? It's an amazing thing. It's what we're called to. And this love brings harmony. It's what love is practically, this, when we will love one another. And love practically, I invite you to think about this definition. Love, love practically. Love is doing the most good for the other person, no matter the personal cost to ourselves. That's kind of redundant, but to emphasize it. Love is doing the most good for the other person, no matter the personal cost to ourselves. What kind of a community would that look like? Well, that would look like God's family, wouldn't it? And harmony, well, what's that? You know, it's, you, know there, you can sing the root and then the third above it. You know, that's, that's typical harmony if you're singing, if you know musical stuff. But practical harmony Let's just take two cues from God's word. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is godly kind of harmony. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Biblical, biblical harmony lived out. Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Here's another example from, that Christ gave us in the Sermon on the Mount. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Harmony, loving one another. So once we put on Christ's character and we love one another, we're called to let peace rule and reign with thanksgiving. Uh, you know, our new identity, of course, is inextricably intertwined and hidden in Christ. We live our lives in Christ. We're members of his body, and Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, about our unity, not only with Christ, but with one another. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, without being knit together in Christ's love, the church can't survive. And Paul addressed the Colossians with real pastoral concern here, reminding them to focus on Christ and really work towards being knit together in the agape kind of love. That's the selfless kind of love. So when the problems come, this love of God through Christ should be our common bond that's going to unite us together. Christ, once again, is our unifying force, and we unite in him, we're united to him, and we unite around him. And, of course, Christ, who is Lord, demands peace and unity among us, his people, of course, Isaiah told us that Jesus is the prince of peace and the enemy and the world. They want chaos. They don't want us to live in peace. They don't want us to be connected. But we need to fight for our unity. 
And I see this amongst a lot of the greater churches at large right now. Sometimes there's, we haven't been so great in the 20th and 20, early 21st century about being united, you know, um, in the larger church. But in the, in the local church, I think uh, we've got some great examples around us here because we are called in one body to be united. And, you know, really unity, striving for unity in itself, unity is neutral. You can be united to do something really, really stupid and really, really bad, right? But we're called to be in the unity in Jesus Christ. And good unity as Christians, our source for the unity is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the focus on Christ as our mutual Savior and Lord. We love one another and we have the same aim together. Again, another John Piper quote for you. John Piper says this about unity. He says, spirit-rooted, Christ-manifesting, truth-cherishing, humble-loving unity. Oh, sorry, I, got, I forgot the hand movements. When you do, um, John Piper, sorry. Spirit-rooted, Christ-manifesting, truth-cherishing, humbly-loving unity is designed by God to have at least two aims. A witness to the world and an acclamation of the glory of God. The Apostle John makes this first of these most clear when he recounts what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said to us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, and you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People say, what's, what's, uh, I don't know how to witness the gospel to people. Well, you can start by loving. We can start by loving one another. That's a great witness to the world. And for the second aim of our unity is Jesus' famous statement in John chapter 17, 20 and 21. Um, they're rooted in the profound spiritual unity between the Father and the Son and those whom God has chosen out of this world. Jesus prayed, I ask that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity in Christ our love for one another, our un un unity in presenting the gospel and loving one another, and loving, uh, doing loving things to this world, it is a proclamation of who Christ is. And it's more, this is vastly more, than just being part of a common organization. Yeah, okay, we come to Christ, yeah, we all go to the same church, but we're united in one purpose, loving Christ, loving each other, letting the world know that Jesus is for real. And so that's why we get together. And just a final word about thanksgiving and how thanksgiving brings unity. Sorry. Clearly, thankfulness should be a characteristic of us Christians, as we mentioned. Temporal blessings, yeah, they're, they're good for um, giving gratitude to both God and others, and we should thank God for the earthly things he provides to us. I mean, he's responsible for the fact that we're even alive today and we've got breath in our lungs. And he blesses us with much more beyond that. We've, we've got eternal, eternal security in Christ. We've got the hope of heaven. 
We have peace with God right now. We can live in peace. But um, as we're thankful, it shows us that, uh, that we're trusting for God, trusting in God for everything. Because being anxious about our lives is worrying that God won't do what he said he will do. But if we're thankful for our lives, we are trusting in God, that God will do everything he promised us that he will do. So thankfulness. All right. So now we've talked about how we've um, uh, been, uh, we put on our new identity. We thank and act towards one another with uh, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, with his full character. Uh, we seek harmony. We let the peace of God reign and rule in our hearts with thanksgiving to keep. Now, fourthly, fourthly, we're getting there, to keep one another growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, we communicate the word of God to each other. That was what was so beautiful this morning about when you read Romans chapter eight, that passage to one another. That was awesome. That was a living, breathing example of Colossians 3.16 where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Did that say anything about the pastor doing that? In that passage, yeah, did you pick, did you see the word pastor in there? Preacher, pastor, anything like that? No, it's one another. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, ah, thankfulness, gratitude in your hearts to God. And this is such a powerful word to how we worship the Lord individually and corporately. Are you letting the word of Christ dwell in your life richly? I encourage you, if, you, um, uh, if you're doing a daily devotional, maybe a scripture a day, read that. Put that into your heart. Put that into your mind. Put that into your life. Let that word sink into your heart on a daily basis. That way, eh, you can chew on it later. You can speak it to somebody around you, right? Let his word dwell in you richly. We're to teach and admonish one another. We're to explain the word of God. Make it clear. We, we say, oh, you know, um, yeah, we go to Bible study. We get together for coffee and we go through a chapter. Do all that kind of fun stuff. We guide one another based on the word. That's, that's what admonishing is. That's when you see maybe a brother or sister in Christ might be kind of straying off into the old identity, starting to go, oh, I'm going to kind of do the old identity thing. This seems kind of good. You know, admonishing your brother and sister says, hey, this is what God's word says. This is what God says, how, to, how, to, you know, how, how we should be living. And this is the right way. Let's follow Christ and do his way. And so you admonish them to come back over, take on the new identity in Christ and live for him. And of course, we do it with wisdom, Christ-centered wisdom. So I'm so thankful that you know, we have a pastor here at our church who's really working hard. And I also wanna thank you and let you know how much I appreciate how much you study God's word and make God's word a part of your life so that you can admonish me and encourage me because I need to hear it. I can't be with uh, our pastor every week on Sunday morning. I may be through the week too, but we get together. We admonish and we encourage one another. Let Christ's word dwell in you richly. And then of course, the part about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Um, what does that do for you when you sing one of God's truths back to him? 
It's more than just your mind wrapping itself around God's truth and, sing, and expressing it, more than just you know, talking it. But when you sing, it takes your whole person. You have to feel the truth that you're singing back to God. When you're singing to God with thankfulness, your whole body feels that thankfulness. I'm glad that we have a singing kind of faith. We may not all be able to sing that well. That's okay. That can be, but you know, but don't worry about that. It's not about pitch and volume and all that other kind of stuff, but it's we sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because we remember things when we sing them. Um, who remembers um, when they had to first learn their uh, street address when they're in first grade? How do you remember where you live? You know, around our house, there was a great little tune that never made the top 40, but it went... One five three six two one five three six two one five three six two Pacific Street. Okay, now you know my address. But I still have to do that today. I have to fill all these forms and things like that. But it's singing a truth and singing and so many the Psalms. Oh my goodness, we you know they're so full of God's truth and Scripture that um, that we have in front of us. Sing it. Just enjoy singing with one another. And fifthly, so we can wrap this up in conclusion how we relate to one another with this new identity. We do this for God's glory. It's one of our great witnesses to the world, and it's a proclamation of who he is. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Folks, because there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. And all that God does in our world today, it's for the sake of his name. So that his name will be proclaimed to the world. And so whatever we do, whatever we're talking about, whatever we're doing, we give the credit and the glory to Jesus so the world may know. Because, you know, if, and... Really, if we won't live his character, if we don't put on Christ, it's like we don't care about what Jesus has uniquely done for us, but we do care. We do care what Jesus has done for us, so we put on Christ. We put on this new identity. And so remember that when we do these things, we are bearing his name. And so we want to take his name to the world and how we care for one another, how we love one another, how we put on our new identity in Christ, how we identify with him, how we kill the old identity, how we kill sin and live for Christ is the proclamation to the world that Jesus is exactly who he is, who he said he does, is, sorry, and that he can and he will and he does save today. So uh, then as we lean into these things, all these attributes of Christ that we are to take on and we live for him with thankfulness, we again, remember, we will show his beauty to the world. So let's put on Christ's character towards one another, bear with one another and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And because we have a thankful lifestyle to God as his family members, we put on loving unity that works for God's peace to reign and rule, not only in our lives, in our church, but in our world. And remember, communicate God's word to one another. Let it be natural. Relax. Say, hey, this is what God showed me in the word this week. 
let's be talking the word to one another as a family. And finally, be mindful of how we relate to one another because it's all for his glory and says everything about God. So though, that's how we relate to one another because of our new identity in Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that um, today as we uh, look at what it means to put on our new identity in Christ and how practically we can go about putting on that, that this new identity only comes to us through a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, a life submitted to Christ, a life that says, I understand that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but that Christ, you died for us. You died for me. And that by faith, I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. And that now I can receive total forgiveness, a new life in Christ. I don't have to live the old way. I now have the power to kill the old self. I now have the power to put on your son, Jesus Christ, as my new identity. I do it, Lord, for your glory and to love the people that you have put in my life around me. Lord, I don't want to use people anymore. Lord, with my new identity in Christ, I want to seek to bless. And Lord, may as we learn how to bless one another and love one another and put on Christ, we can walk in that newness of life, that freedom, that joy that you want for us, that you have promised us. Father, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.